Thank you, Kelsey. That song would almost make me dance if I wasn't a Baptist, but and if I had any natural rhythm, but take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. This is one of those times that I wish I was really, really smart. It'd make this a lot easier. As I prepared for this message, I, I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote. And when I finally got to the place that the outline that I was handing out was two pages long, I decided, whoa, I don't think they're going to stay with me that long. So I went back and took about half of it out. <clears throat> so when you're making your Thanksgiving things this week, you can add a new one. That is, you're thankful that your preacher has a delete key. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul dealt with the problems that were occurring within the meetings of the local church there in Corinth. And here in chapter 12, he begins to address another issue that is disrupting the church service. We looked first of all at how they were corrupting and misusing the Lord's Supper, the communion and he addressed that, and now another important issue has arisen, and that is over the use of spiritual gifts. This is such a difficult task that the Apostle Paul will take three chapters of this letter in order to discuss this problem, chapters 12 and 13 and 14. Now, evidently, this was one of the issues that was causing divisions within the Corinthian church. Some of the dynamic and charismatic individuals were being given greater honor and positions within certain factions. There were also some obvious causes, or cases I should say, of individuals abusing spiritual gifts, and possibly even some counterfeit spiritual gifts that were throwing the, the church into confusion. The Corinthian believers were very fond of the spectacular. They attached particular importance to the more demonstrative of the spiritual gifts, which led to a distortion of which gifts were the most important. This led to divisions, according to chapter 12 and verses 12 through 31, and disorder in the worship services in the latter part of chapter 14. Now, Paul did not belittle the value of spiritual gifts, but rather he sought to clarify where the gifts came from and how they were to be used in the church. At the outset, perhaps we should make the distinction between the gift of the Spirit, singular, as in John chapter 14, and the gifts of the Spirit, plural. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 14, in verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, 
but you know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. Now, the first is the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. Another, and we'll talk more about this in a few moments. Now, there are two different words that can be translated another. There is the word alos, A-L-L-O-S, which means another of the same kind. And there heteros, which means another of a different kind. So here we have that the Holy Spirit is another of the same kind as Jesus himself, another helper, actually, the word is paraclete or parakletos, one who is called alongside to help, to aid, to comfort, to give assistance. According to verse 16, he is not only with us, but he is in us. And this, of course, was fulfilled at Pentecost. The second is the gifts of the Spirit, plural. And they refer to the gifts of the Holy Spirit themselves. Spiritual gifts, by definition, mean an ability or skill that enables the recipient to perform a function within the body of Christ with ease and success. There is one thing that we need to understand, and that is that every time the word gift occurs in our text, it is the word charismat. It is a word that means the spiritual gifts are all charismatic gifts. All of them are, are charismatic gifts. Sometimes we kind of like to just lift over gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy as the charismatic gifts. No, all of them are charismatic gifts. Now, I want you to notice four things with me about spiritual gifts. First of all, the importance of spiritual gifts. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. The words now concerning indicate that Paul is giving another response uh, to one of the questions that the Corinthians obviously at some point in their original letter have written and asked Paul's advice on. So here's another one of those things that Paul is directly answering a question for the Corinthians about. He talks first of all about the abuse uh, of spiritual gifts. Several times the Apostle Paul states that he doesn't want people to be ignorant of something of some important thing. He, in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of God's plans for Israel. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. I don't want you to be ignorant of, of your enemy. Uh, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, I don't want you to be ignorant of those who have fallen asleep. I want you to be aware of the, of the coming rapture. And here he says that he doesn't want them to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And because of Paul's very lengthy response, we can assume that the misuse of spiritual gifts was causing quite a bit of trouble and confusion within the, the Corinthian church. Now, secondly, a reminder of their former pagan practices. He says in verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles, that carried away to those dumb idols, whatever you were led. Since the, the majority of the believers in Corinth, in the church there, 
come out of a Gentile or pagan background, they would tend to associate any unusual or spectacular manifestation of spiritual gifts in their church with some of those experiences that they had had previously in the pagan churches and in the pagan temples. So it's important for them to recognize that even after these former pagans had become Christians, they still had a tendency to confuse demonic manifestations with those of the Holy Spirit. They needed to be able to tell the difference between those things that were caused by the enemy and those things that were caused by the Holy Spirit. So in verse 3, he talks about testing the spirits. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that, the, that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I just have in my mind <clears throat> that perhaps some of those who are <clears throat> from Jewish backgrounds get caught up in the Spirit begin to speak in other tongues, they get into ecstatic utterances, and perhaps they say, because of their background, that Jesus is accursed. He says that can't be from the Holy Spirit. And he presented a test that they could use to distinguish between demonic activity and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Since it seems that there are some counterfeit or false gifts that were being manifested in this local church. True spiritual gifts are given by God to produce unity and harmony within the local body. If they are not producing unity and harmony within the body, they are not of the Holy Spirit. And they are not being used correctly. Demonic counterfeits, however, are meant to divide and disrupt. And so the true test of whether the Spirit is at work is the test of correct doctrine. Anytime anything that is said in a service that goes against what is already recorded in the Bible, we know that that cannot be true. The second thing that we look at is the instruction then about spiritual gifts. Paul now reiterates and reinforces what the believers at Corinth probably have already been taught by him while he was among them. I cannot believe that this is the first time that they have heard these things. There's first of all the diversity of spiritual gifts. He says in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. I think what he's trying to say here is even among those who have the same spiritual gift, there is diversity. Let's just for the sake of argumentation say that all of us now know that we have the spiritual gift of teaching. Okay, that's our spiritual gift. There are infinite possibilities for ministry even among those who possess the gift of teaching. One can use uh, his gift in teaching in a pastoral role in a local church, while another person may use that gift to teach in a seminary. 
One can teach a Sunday school class of junior boys while another may be leading a Bible study class uh, at his lunch table during lunch at his workplace. One may teach in Africa and another one may teach in Chicago. The problem is that when we think about the gift of teaching, or any other gift for that matter, we tend to think of it in a limited concept of what it may be. And Paul reminds believers to keep an open mind to the infinite possibilities of exercising any given gift. The second thing that he talks about is the purpose of spiritual gifts in verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Spiritual gifts are not given for our individual enjoyment. They are not given so that I can feel good about myself. They're not given that I might feel spiritual about myself. But rather they are given for the edifying and being helpful in the local church. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Next, we look at the examples of the spiritual gift, and this is where I have to start cutting. At first, I had, the Scripture provides three listings of spiritual gifts. The one here in 1 Corinthians 12, the the one in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, and the one in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And I had all of them listed and all of the spiritual gifts in each one. But I decided... I'm going to stay with 1 Corinthians. We've got enough to cover here by just looking at the gifts that are listed here. Now, <clears throat> depends on how you count them, but there are something like 18 spiritual gifts given. I believe, I've become convinced over the years, that they are meant as a representative list, not an exhaustive list. It is... I'm saying that there's a possibility that there's a spiritual gift that's not listed here. That's still a spiritual gift that God has given to individuals. Now, 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 12, verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit to another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit to another faith, by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing, by the same Spirit to another the workings of miracle miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Let's look first of all. I want you to understand that these gifts are divided into three categories in the scripture itself. They are divided by the use of the word another. It is not the same word over and over and over again. 
The first two are looped, looped together, the word, of, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Because it doesn't have another in the word of wisdom, but if you look at verse 8, it says, and to another, the word of knowledge. So it is, those, the word is alas there, so those two are connected together. But then when we get down to faith, to another faith, that another is heteros. It says, okay, here's another group. And now we have five of them grouped together, and each one of them another, alas, another, and alas, another, alas, another, alas, until we get to the very final group, which is tongues and interpret, interpretation of tongues. And again, he says, and another said heteros group at the very end. Now, let me get, try to give you what I believe each one of these mean. First of all, the word of wisdom. The problem that he's addressing is the problem of human versus divine wisdom. That seemed to be a hot topic in Corinth. At the beginning of the letter, Paul spent several paragraphs in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 explaining the difference between God's wisdom and human wisdom. The gift of wisdom is the ability to perceive life from God's perspective, to have an intuitive insight into the true nature of things and be able to apply Bible truth to specific real-life situations. Now, let me kind of draw a line in the sand and say, okay, that's the way we see it. Now, the Charismatics and the Pentecostals see the first two gifts entirely different. Some Pentecostals view the word of knowledge and word of wisdom as spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit speaking from one believer to another, giving revelation concerning a decision or a situation. Those who use those gifts in that way would often say something like this, I have a word from the Lord for you. And in so doing, they claim to be speaking on behalf of God and claim that their words are to be strictly obeyed. Now, I have some problems with that. The first being that this understanding of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom comes dangerously close to denying the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. If God continues to reveal his will and wisdom through special revelation to individuals, then how can his word truly be sufficient, as the Bible says, to make us complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work? What we believe about the word of knowledge is that it is a spiritual gift of knowledge It is insight gained from the hard work of careful study of God's Word and the ability to communicate that truth is the ability to discover the truths from the facts of Scripture and then to explain and interpret those truths in order for others to understand them. The gift of knowledge is connected to the gift of wisdom because it helps believers to know how to use or apply God's revealed truth in their specific situations. Then the second category begins, 
another. Here is the word heteros. And because it is the gift of faith, this is an extraordinary ability to trust God based on his word. We're not talking about common faith as you and I have. We're talking about an extraordinary faith. Since all of the gifts in this list have to do with speaking or displaying something for the benefit of other believers within the church, it seems best to view the spiritual gift of faith as a special ability to communicate faith to others, to help other people to trust in God more fully. Then there's the gift of healing. It simply means to bring about a return to health. And there are many examples in the New Testament that show the gift of healing being used. I could cite numbers of them. But these examples would show you that the actual healing usually was a platform for presenting the truth of God's wisdom. The miraculous healing became the divine stamp of approval or authenticity for the message that was being proclaimed. The spiritual gift of healing was never used solely for the purpose of restoring someone's physical health. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, you feel, say, Paul, who himself exercised the gift of healing, was himself sick. And many of his companions had illnesses, and yet he was not given the ability to heal them. He only exercised the gift of healing through the leading of the Holy Spirit as a means to confirm the power of the gospel, rather than to just make one individual physically healthy. There is also the gift of miracles. Gift of miracles is literally the ability to release the power of God in a unique and supernatural way. As was the case with the gift of healing, these events usually became the platforms for presenting or confirming the truths of God's wisdom. Now, as we come to the last part of this, we... We have to stop and say, well, Corinth was the most charismatic church of, of Paul's, all of Paul's churches. Most spiritually gifted. It was also the most problematic and carnal of Paul's churches. In fact, the, the description of the final four gifts were destructively out of control. And so Paul writes chapters 12 through 14, to bring some needed correction and balance in the use of these gifts. There is prophecy. This was a special ability given to a believer for accurately predicting future events. And authenticity of that prophet's message occurred when those events actually took place. There is the discerning of spirits indicates the ability to distinguish or discern whether something is from the Holy Spirit or not. The gift, the type of gift would have been especially valuable in the church at Corinth so that someone could give an immediate judgment on the things that were being said in the congregation. Now, 
the next one is tongues, and we could spend several hours talking about the gift of tongues. I believe, I believe that the gift of tongues is the ability to speak speak other people's in their languages that the speaker had not previously learned is certainly what we see on the day of Pentecost from the new testament examples of the use of this gift it is clear that the message spoken in tongues could be understood by the listeners who did know those languages that is you look at acts chapter 2 and verses 7 through 11 you discover that the people who knew those languages understood what was being said to them. It was not an unknown language. This means that tongues were understandable, even though they may have seemed unintelligible to a person who did not know that particular language. I have sat in numerous services in other countries where I didn't understand a word. And it's difficult to stand there and you say, this doesn't make any sense. The word, these are not real words that they're using. But he says, <clears throat> these are not some made-up language. Now, some people believe, and I'm very careful on this, <clears throat> I believe that you shouldn't make fun of what people believe, even if you disagree. I don't like to hear... People make fun of people speaking in tongues. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with making fun of the Holy Spirit. God can do anything he wants to. Some people believe that this refers to ecstatic, meaning you don't have any control over what you're saying, or angelic, heavenly languages. If this is what one believes, <clears throat> then it still should be practiced in accordance with the guidelines laid out by the Apostle Paul in chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians, and I've never yet seen it done correctly. I'm not going to say it's never been done, but I've never seen it done. The most intelligible description I ever heard of someone talking about speaking in tongues was given by Jack Hayford as he talked about his belief that is a heavenly language, prayer language. That it was a personal thing between the person and God. I think it's important that we notice, though, that the Bible says that those who do not speak in tongues did, do not, should not, seek that gift as a sign of salvation or as a sign of a special closeness to God, for it is neither. Although you will hear it described in that way. I have heard charismatics say, you need to have the gift of speaking in tongues, which is the manifestation of salvation. No, it's not. There is now the interpretation of tongues, another Another, another, this one being tied with tongues itself. This sign involves the interpretation of foreign languages that were spoken by someone with the gift of tongues. 
someone who spoke in tongues sometimes was able to understand what they were saying, but it is also possible that they were able to speak correctly the message while not being able to understand all that was being said. In that case, the speaker would need someone else to interpret what was being said. For even if the speaker did understand his message, it would lend confirmation and authenticity if a different person interpreted what was said. Now, I have witnessed individuals speak in tongues and then interpret for themselves. I don't think that's valid for the simple reason that if I came into this room tonight and for the first five minutes I spoke to you in Romanian and then I turned around and said, now what I just said to you was, and I told you that same thing in English, you would say, why did you do that? Why did you speak to us in Romanian? We didn't understand any of that. That was without purpose. If you read Paul's writings there in 12 and 13 and 14, he says that what we do has to bring edification, that it is to enlighten those that we're speaking to. And if they don't have a clue about what you're talking about, then certainly that is not being, that is not transpired. Now, <clears throat> I've given you in your outline a little thing that Charles Swindoll has put together in which he has put all the spiritual gifts into list, and he has given three categories, support gifts, service gifts, and sign gifts. Support gifts, apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, pastor, teacher, teaching, and the purpose of those is to equip the saints. The service gifts of administration, exhortation, faith, giving, showing mercy, the purpose of those is to encourage the saint. And then the sign gifts, that of distinguishing spirits, the gift of miracles, gift of healing, gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, those were meant to establish the saints in the faith. The support gifts were important for life. They were public in nature, and they involved ministry of the Word. The service gifts were vital to the body's health, they were private in nature, and they, concerned, they were concerned with the needs of others. Now let's go to number three, the distribution of spiritual gifts, verse number 11. But one and the same Spirit works at all these things, distributing to each one individual as he wills. Distributing to each one individually. So he talks about the universality of gifts. He says distributing to each one. Every one has one. But then he talks about individuality. The word individual is a very interesting word. It is the word idios. It is the word we get idiot from. It's the only time I'll probably ever get to call all of you a bunch of idiots. Now, if I could just end and not tell you what that meant, that would be fun. But you know what an idiot is? He is someone who has no duplicate in the world. There's not another one of you, thankfully. 
When we say he's an idiot, that word comes from an old word that means peculiar. And you've been saying that about me for years. That man's a little peculiar. He's an idiot. Don't be saying that in community this week, would you? You'd give me a bad name if all my folks began to call me an idiot and nobody understands why. The Spirit of God universally gives the gifts, but to each individual, He gives them particularly. Nobody has your gifts. You're like a snowflake. It's not mass production. Everybody is different. Everybody's uniqueness manifests itself in its own unique way. So that the Spirit of God divides to every individual as He wills. I think it's interesting that if you read through these teachings on the spiritual gifts, you find that we are nowhere instructed to seek a particular gift. In the first place, gifts are from God. They are sovereignly given. And it is He who gives according to His will. Fourth and final thing is the exercise of spiritual gifts. And this is important as a kind of overall scheme. The gifts, the spiritual gifts are to be exercised within the context of Agape love, God's love. God's word is both consistent and insistent on the way that spiritual gifts are to be expressed. In 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 and in Ephesians 4, which are the three sections of Scripture that deal with spiritual gifts, all do the same thing. After the 1 Corinthians chapter 12 discussion of gifts, Paul says... I will show you a more excellent way. And what he gives us, that excellent way, is found in in chapter 13, and that excellent way is love. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, right after the discussion of the spiritual gifts, he says, let us love without hypocrisy. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle talks about speaking the truth in love and of building in love. Additionally, the Apostle Peter, in his general discussion of the spiritual gifts, says, above all, keep fervent in your love one for another. Let me just close with a few applications. First of all, spiritual gifts are for enablement, not for enjoyment. They are given not to be a blessing to the individual, but to be a blessing to the church, to the body. Secondly, spiritual gifts are sovereignly given. They are given by God. God decides what spiritual gift you will have. And maybe the most important of all for me tonight is don't confuse spiritual gifts with spirituality. This was the big problem in Corinth, confusing spiritual gifts with spirituality. The great error of the church at Corinth was confusing spiritual gifts with being spiritual. Specifically, those who had the gift 
of tongues, and it is interesting how this continues to be the problem even today. Specifically, those who had the gift of tongues thought themselves to be several notches higher on the spiritual scale than those who did not have this gift. The Corinthian church was apparently an exceptionally gifted church, but it was also one of the most carnal churches in all of the New Testament. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we want to thank you for your word and its application in our lives. Even when it's difficult, it speaks to our hearts. And we ask, Lord, that you would use what we have learned to make us better, to make us more courageous, to make us more compassionate for those around us. Father, use it however you will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.